Hello and welcome to this edition of Sentencing Matters, a podcast from the Queensland Sentencing Advisory Council. Sentencing Matters, a podcast that informs, engages and advises on sentencing issues in Queensland. I'm John Robertson, the Chair of the Queensland Sentencing Advisory Council, and in this 12th edition of Sentencing Matters, I'm speaking with Professor Lorana Bartels about community corrections orders and uh, reforms in other states in relation to judicial discretion. Welcome, Professor Bartels. Thank you very much. Firstly, can you tell us a little bit about your background and your work in this area? So I trained as a lawyer and I worked at the Director of Public Prosecutions and Public Defender's Office in New South Wales, but realised early on court work was not for me. So I did research work and I was lucky enough to complete a PhD with one of the gurus of Australian sentencing research, Kate Warner, now the Governor of Tasmania, at the University of Tasmania. In fact, I noticed my PhD was awarded 10 years ago and have done a lot of work with Professor Warner and also Professor Ari Freiberg. So I've been very much fortunate to be mentored by two wonderful sentencing researchers. And I do a lot of work about sentencing policy, the implementation of different sentencing orders, and increasingly research on prison administration as well, which is a bit of a segue, I guess, for a lawyer. Well, interestingly enough, we have that close connection that I didn't know about because Kate Warner is a long-term friend of mine. I used to lecture for down at the University of Tasmania. So a lot of your research has been around this new form of order called a community correction order. Can you tell us a little bit about what a community correction order is? They go by different names, community correction order or intensive correction order. What it is, is a sentence of imprisonment in the community and it's different from a suspended sentence where the judge or magistrate may simply say, this is a sentence of imprisonment, but I suspend the operation of that sentence and basically sends the offender forth to behave themselves. With an intensive correction order, as part of the order, there are conditions attached to it, and they're often quite onerous conditions. They're generally going to be around frequent supervision, frequent participation in some kind of employment or studying, or undertaking some kind of treatment program, and they can often be really onerous. I mean, we're talking many hours in the week and there can be a community service component as well. So this is no light option for an offender. In fact, some offenders quite frankly find it easier to go to prison and have their three square meals a day and the bed to sleep in and the the walls around them. This is the person in the community and the benefits and challenges that brings, but they're very much under the intensive monitoring, if you will, of community corrections agencies. In Queensland, we have intensive correction orders, but they're very limited. So how are they used and how would they be different from a community correction order? Well, the research that we've undertaken so far reveals that they're used very infrequently by sentencing magistrates and judges. They can be for a maximum of 12 months, Mm -hmm. but contain conditions that are similar to what you were talking about, but the real issue is it's limited to 12 months. Yeah, that would be shorter than in most other jurisdictions. In New South Wales, it's up to two years. In Victoria, I believe it's up to two years for a single one. It could go up to five years if they have multiple sentences. And in the ACT, it can be for sentences of up to four years. And I, I understood in Victoria from my own reading that when you're being sentenced 
to a community corrections order in the higher court, so the county court or the Supreme Court, the judge has got a discretion to impose a community correction order up to the maximum penalty. I believe the government there has now passed legislation to limit that and they've also passed legislation to limit the types of offences for which these orders can impose. So since the Victorian Court of Appeal handed down its decision in Bolton at the end of 2014, that was obviously a guideline judgment very much in favour of these sorts of orders and very much designed to encourage their use. The government there has moved away from that and has obviously wanted to make some strong pronouncements about law and order and sentencing policy. And so they, to my knowledge, have very much restricted the sorts of circumstances in which a CCO, as it's called, community correction order, can be imposed. Has that happened in the ACT or New South Wales? I can't speak for New South Wales. I think they're in the midst of some reforms which have not yet taken effect, I believe. Certainly in the ACT, when the ICO, as we call it, was introduced now a bit over two years ago, there was significant enthusiasm for it from the government. It was introduced concurrently with the abolition of periodic detention. So the ACT was the last place in the country that had periodic detention and the ICO was introduced to replace that. The uptake of the order has not been huge and that's generally true of these sorts of orders and I'm at a loss to really know why the numbers aren't what the government had hoped they were. I don't know whether it's a case of judicial officers not thinking that they're appropriate for the circumstances they see. I do know there have been some long orders imposed. I know of one in the Supreme Court that was for four years, but there hasn't been any analysis or any detailed analysis of how these orders are used in the ACT and, and why they haven't fulfilled their promise. And I think that's the challenge, and perhaps the same is here in Queensland, they're simply not used to a large extent and that's something of a, I guess, a conundrum as we deal with rising prison populations and rising prison costs, is how to make these sorts of orders attractive to the populace but also to sentencing officers. So the guideline judgment in Bolton... Has been watered down. Has been watered down. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So um, from your perspective as a researcher and with a great deal of experience and knowledge of these orders, how do you think they compare and interact with present sentencing options in Queensland? Suspended sentences are a sentencing option which by and large judicial officers really like and quite frankly so do defendants a lot of the time, but the community generally doesn't understand, doesn't like. There are a number of ways that suspended sentences have been casting a pretty negative light in the media and obviously a probation order is not a sentence of imprisonment that is overtly a non-custodial order what a community correction order can achieve i think if done properly is to communicate to the community generally that this is a prison sentence this is not someone just sitting at home twiddling their thumbs expectations are made of them now that is very difficult as a sell to the community but I think it's an important one it's also difficult for the offender of course to then be on that order and one has to be careful that one's not setting them up to fail on that order but if we're trying to get the mix right between the people who really should be in jail and making sure that they are in jail and that is to the benefit of the community to keep us safe and keeping in the community the people who should be in the community I think that these sorts of orders have a really critical role to play and I don't think that potential has been met. So to give you an example from New South Wales, Dr Don Weatherburn, who's the director of the New South Wales Bureau of Crime Statistics and Research, recently noted in a paper that 
300 to 400 people in New South Wales a year are sent to prison for common assault. Now, common assault is the most minor form of assault. It's an unwanted touching. It's a spitting in the face. It is not a serious offence. And 90% of those offenders have a non-parole period of under six months. So really, I think we need to question what we're trying to achieve as a society in sending people to jail for something like that. That means they're away from their homes, they're away from their families, their children might go into care and protection, they lose whatever job they might have, they become disconnected from their community and, quite frankly, more likely to re-offend when they return to the community. They're the sorts of people that Dr Weatherburn suggests, and I agree, should really be kept in the community under appropriate conditions rather than sending them off to prison. So our research that we've done here at the council surprised me that over a period of about 10 years, the incidence of imprisonment imposed in the magistrate's court has in effect doubled. Magistrates are sending people to jail a lot more. There's probably a number of reasons for that we don't really know yet, but there were reforms in that period that placed a lot of higher court matters into the magistrate's court. So do you think a community correction order for a shorter period of time would probably be an option, say, in the magistrate's court that would be more palatable to the community interests because rather than giving someone one month for common assault, you could give them a six-month community corrections order? And what are the purposes of sentencing that are met by a community correction order when it's properly administered? I think theoretically... Depending on the circumstances, all of the purposes can be met. I think we can say this is a form of punishment. Yes. It's onerous. It is absolutely geared towards rehabilitation. So if the conditions are, for example, that the offender undertake drug and alcohol treatment, that's relevant to his or her offending pattern. That obviously goes very much to their rehabilitation. It can effectively communicate denunciation of the conduct involved. It can promote community protection. You know, I think we have to get away from this fiction that only prison can punish, only prison can keep the community mm. safe, let alone, quite frankly, the notion that prison can rehabilitate, which I think the research shows it does, unfortunately, quite poorly. So in appropriate circumstances, the potential for these sorts of orders to meet multiple purposes of sentencing is clear while intensive corrections convey something different, uh, both of them are obviously accurate descriptors. But I think if people understand, as I say, that there are conditions imposed that are required of the offender and that are ideally designed to ensure that the person is less likely to re-offend, then that should theoretically be palatable to the populace. In relation to the intensity of those conditions and what they're designed for, when I was advising the ACT government on their design of what ultimately was called the Intensive Corrections Order, what became very clear to me from the research both in Australia and overseas is intensive should not be about intensive supervision or surveillance. That does not work. The focus needs to be on intensive support, whether that be drug and alcohol, mental health, support with basic literacy, education, employment, housing, obviously. There's a whole host of things that are social factors that are, if not universal to people in the offending population, obviously, are key issues for people who do come before the courts. And if we want a system that is 
to really effectively address those issues and in so doing prevent crime. The intensive component of this order should not be about someone had a curfew at 8pm and they arrived at 8.02 because their bus was late so they're in breach and we'll, we'll send them inside. The intensive component has to be about ensuring here's somebody who may have a whole host of issues and that's why they offend and we're going to work with them to address those issues. So again, from your perspective and from your research and your knowledge of the topic, what do you say about supervising officers? There are a number of suggestions that community corrections officers that supervise these orders should have some form of discretion about breaches that don't involve returning to a court. Do you, do you think that's good from a, a public policy point of view when it comes to sentencing? Yes, I think recognising the circumstances in which a breach takes place and the nature of the breach is critical. I mean, daily life is difficult for all of us. We can all say we're going to be there at 8 o'clock and we arrive at 8.05. If there are good reasons, the bus was late, my boss kept me back for five minutes, that's very different from simply not caring about a curfew, turning up at 2 in the morning, turning up drunk, whatever. I think that's vital that the probation and parole officer or community corrections officer develop a therapeutic rapport with the offender and if that means that they're by and large doing well but there's a breach that is not a breach constituted by some form of offending but it's a breach that is fairly trivial in nature I think it should be within the purview of the corrections officer's job to say Jim Smith's doing well he messed up but that's okay we're going to keep on working with him because he's actually heading down the right path and I think that uh, models that are excessively punitive in nature, models that, for example, make it mandatory to impose a prison sentence where someone breaches their order, that is problematic. When I was a judge, sentenced a lot of children over the period, you often found, because of the delays in the system, that by the time you came to sentence an offender, even for quite serious offending, and I'm talking 15 and 16 year olds, mm. I'm talking robberies, armed robberies, offences of violence, burglary, they'd serve lengthy period, often up to two years, on the conditional bail program mm -hmm. that has a very similar appearance mm -hmm. to a community yeah. correction order. And it was argued that, in effect, that was a form of punishment. Yes. Uh, so um, I take on board what you say about the punitive nature, particularly with curfews and yeah. compulsory attendance at drug rehabilitation programs, compulsory attendance at programs designed to create employability, etc., etc., I think even in circumstances, and perhaps this is not a, a popular perspective, but if you were dealing for arguments, say, with someone who's had a long-standing drug habit, if they have dramatically curbed that drug intake and they have a horrible personal issue, their mother dies or something mm. horrific happens, if they relapse, I think we need to be sufficiently informed by relapse research and drug and alcohol research to say that's actually part of getting off the drugs and getting clean. So if we build that into our system in a way that doesn't castigate the person, say you're a bad person, you're once a criminal, you're always a criminal. If you have a probation and parole officer who can work with you and recognise this wasn't you just going out and taking drugs because you felt like it, this was a horrific experience and you were processing it, even something like that, I don't think necessarily should result in a breach of a community corrections order and straight back to prison. Thank you very much, Professor Bartels, for speaking to us. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this edition of Sentencing Matters. For more information on sentencing issues in Queensland, head to our website, sentencingcouncil.qld.gov.au.